With Nightshade. With Echoes. Oh, Echoes. It used to be called Nightshades. Yeah, but actually my real name is Father Peter Mother. Oh, sorry. We're, this is a different conversation. I am Scott Powell. We are the Lanky Guys. And we are so excited, especially I want to welcome to the podcast those priests of the Archdiocese of Denver. Yes. I uh, got up and awkwardly promoted the <laughs> podcast to the whole presbyterate and there you know if you think that That's it's how we roll it's nervous to like get up in front of people and talk dude getting up in front of a lot of priests and talking is just not easy because we are all our professional speakers yeah i i how was that did they all give you weird looks or did they nod politely no did you or know they boo you no 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 you know what i do is i just look uh to to all the foreign guys <laughs> Because the foreign priests, there's a lot of them, and they're always a lot nicer, like just as far as their looks going. Did they understand what you were saying? No, no, no. <laughs> but they're all smiling at you. Like, that's the best part. I just love it. I don't know what to do with <laughs> Is that offensive? Is it not? No, 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 no. Yes. It's just, a, this is, we're just talking skills here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, Fair this, enough. This, and so it was really good. I'm, I'm really excited. And so you guys get to experience what it's like to go through the uh, Sunday readings with Scott Powell, which is the guy across from me. Did and you introduce yourself yet? I did. And Father Peter Mustard, who was the guy across from me. And we are stoked because we're like deep into Easter. Well, they were a third Sunday already. Oh, well, they probably are wondering why I was t- talking to all the priests of the archdiocese we just oh, had yeah. the right. convocation which is it's a tradition they just figure you guys skype every night all together all, all together <laughs> hey everybody hi everybody the, the, hi father hi father 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 we father, actually father. have a, 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 a hi father 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 doctor doctor father father <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah that's from spies like us in yeah. case you were wondering and um well, not the father part but the doctor part but it was an imitation of yeah <laughs> and so <laughs> So, uh, so what happens is we all get together once a year, and we is it only once a year? Yep. Wow, I feel like you're always at a priest convocation. <laughs> Do you go to other diocese convocations? No, no. Oh, good leaders and good shepherds. Yeah, good I, leaders, I'm, good so shepherds. I'm that up. Okay. The Catholic Leadership Institute. I am a good Catholic and good shepherd and a leader that is all of the above. So yep, and you can convocate. Dude, convocare to call together. Ooh. So in a certain sense, in a certain sense, our podcast is a convocation. Of, yeah. of our Havarim. Yes, that's right. We get together and we talk. We do. We gather around. We synagogos around the scriptures. We synagogue around them. Yeah. That's where the Greek Dude, word comes from. You're a great guy, except for you're sinful. You're oh. a synagogue. But that's okay. You're kind of <laughs> gross when you talk. I mean, synagogo gross? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, that's, that's, so, that's a stretch. That is. Why don't we jump Let's into just jump some into readings? This. All right. It is the third Sunday of Easter. Well, it's okay. the Thursday before the third Sunday of Easter. But you know what we mean. And our first reading this week is coming from Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, I'm sorry, 13 through 15, jumping over to 17 through 19. So we skip one little verse, 16, and I can't figure out why we skip it, but we do. So, Hey, man. Skip to Deleu, my darling. Yes, indeed. And then, then, we're, <laughs> then we jump into Psalm 4. Oh, Psalm, Psalm 4. Psalm 4. <laughs> you know, Psalm 4. Our response is from Psalm 4, 7a, and then we uh, we go uh, to, you know, 2, and then like 3, then like 6, and then 7, then 8, and then like 9. So it works, <laughs> our, out, it works out pretty good. And the response itself is from 7a. I already said that. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was reading. 
<laughs> All right, our second reading. I'm just going to be honest. Did, you can did. see the giant book in front of my face. I know. I, I was. It is podcast related though, so it's okay. Well, what's nice is that that I can make all sorts of funny faces, and the uh, the listening audience, you guys don't even. Thanks for blocking me out. He's just like put the book in between us as a barrier. Come on. And then our second this is my side of the podcast. That is your side of the podcast. Well, I'm, I'm going to put on a tape measure or whatever it is. That was what the implication was. All right, our second reading. Is from First John chapter two verses one through five a. Hey a hey a hey a like this is like number five a. Eh? That's for all our Canadian audiences. Oh, it reminded me of Strange Brew, dude. That's right, man. Second City TV. I was all, I almost got a book about improvisation called Yes and from the SETV producers. Wow, I dressed as the Strange Brew, one of the Strange Brew guys for Halloween one year. Hey. Along with my friend from Canada. He was more into it than I was. But anyway. Dude, I think that the the two guys from Strange Brew did more to affect the way that, that Americans perceive Canadians than anything else that is in our culture. Even if you don't know what Strange Brew is, you've probably been affected by it in one way or another. That's a shout out to Bob Burns, whose favorite movie <laughs> is Strange Brew. So I hope you're listening, Bob. That's a shout out to you. Yeah. And uh, so, and then our gospel, we get to Luke 24, 35 to 48, which you is- better believe it. Which is like right after the Emmaus scene. Right after literally right after which is really funny because i studied emmaus the the pericope of the disciples on the road to nice emmaus use of pericope there hey thanks for a year and i studied nothing directly after it <laughs> like <laughs> like i oh it, dear it's like a lacuna well that's all right we'll get it today you know what i say i say lacuna matata that's right i on, knew i you, know come you on. so well you know me well let's do this all right let's do it so our first reading is I, I got to be honest with you. I love the Easter season, and I love the celebratory nature of it, and I love that we're basking in the glow of the new covenant, but Alleluia, I kind of miss the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I feel you, too. Like, there's something about being able to be rooted. Um, well, because it, it's really funny because the acts come after the Gospels. And yes. So, Do you know why I feel I think- wobbly? I'm not, I, I'm not, this is my own theory, and I might be wrong about this, but okay. do you know I think we're reading from Acts right now, right in the me. last couple of weeks? Talk to me. Well, what do we usually have? We usually have the Old Testament. The Acts readings have actually been taking us back to the Old Testament, and what it's doing, especially oh this goodness. week, yeah. this is Peter's homily on the Old Testament. So for our first reading, which is usually a focus on the Old Testament, we get the homily of the first pope talking about the Old Testament, so what which you're is actually kind of cool. So what you're saying is that by going into the Acts of the Apostles, essentially we're having a lanky guys of old. Do you think Peter was lanky? No. No, no I don't think that he had lank anywhere near Just him. Just a thick in fisherman? I think he was, man. Thick-headed fisherman? Either that, like, yeah, I always picture him as a little pudgy. Really? I've always pictured him like you. Really? Yeah. Maybe, I don't know why. I'm honored. You're bearded? You're. I've always pictured St. John like you. Oh, I'm honored as well. With yeah. his floppy, moppy hair. Floppy, moppy hair. <laughs> so I love, as, as, as jumping into Acts, yep. like, jump the, it, jump it, jump it. The phrase, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers. So whenever we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh-huh. um, the, the, the phrase, uh, God of the living and not of the dead. Yeah. It always uh, it just jumps out at me because specifically whenever whenever I see this again I don't know how scholastic this particular idea not is. Very. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Come on. I know it's awesome. I um I always think that 
it directly points towards the resurrection. Because as you are Oh, saying, I think you're right. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is like saying, check it out. These guys are not dead. They are alive. And so yes. we're, we're pointing towards the salvation and the resurrection of souls in the afterlife. Absolutely. Um, it's also, I, I do want to preface this passage, but before, because you brought up the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, do you know the first time that phraseology appears in the scriptures? No. It is. Any guesses? Uh, it's Genesis. a very significant moment. No, it's not Genesis. No, I, I, I don't know. Think about what we're doing. I want, let's take this apart. Let's, let's see if we can get to the conclusion here that I, I'm trying to get us to. Okay. Um, what is what has just happened both in the life of the church and in the life of the apostles here? Excuse me. Um, I mean, I don't think too hard. What just happened? Death and resurrection. Yeah, of Jesus. Jesus just rose again, right? Which, um, if you take, so this is Luke writing, okay? Luke okay. is writing the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. Luke knows that Jesus has just risen from the dead after having died on the cross, right? Yep. If you trace Luke himself back all the way to the transfiguration, remember in the transfiguration scene, Luke told you precisely way before the fact what Jesus was going to Jerusalem to do. What was he going to do? Do you remember what tra- the transfiguration says? To have an exodus. So guess where the phraseology of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob first showed up? Exodus. Exodus. It's when God introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush. He introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I think the whole narrative, and this is a subtle thing. I'm not trying to over overemphasize this. But subtly speaking, it's pointing to that what Jesus has done is this new exodus. Just like Luke predicted it was going to be, the new exodus has now taken place. And so there's imagery of the exodus all throughout both the Lucan narratives of, of Luke and then Acts. Oh, cool. Because what he's showing, what's the exodus fundamentally? It's a movement from slavery to freedom, from death to life, from homelessness to landedness, right? Which is what Jesus has done. From exile to the promised land. Exactly right. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool little setup for us. But I also just literally want to talk about the setup for this little speech, this little homily that that Peter gives. If you back up a little bit, what has just happened, so this is, it's only chapter three, so everything's pretty fresh. Um, The Pentecost thing has really just happened the, the, um, the chapter before. So everything is kind of new. We just, I think it was last week, we talked about the life among the believers, how they shared everything in common and how they were doing these things. Then immediately after that, we have this story about Peter and John who went up to the temple because they're still in Jerusalem. Yeah. And they were going, and you know, for all we know, they were just going up to the temple to pray because it was still, they're still but, Jewish. They're still going through the ways that you live as a Jew. They just understand that the Jewish Messiah has come. You know, with Jesus setting himself so kind of directly in in contradiction towards the temple, though, w- like wouldn't wouldn't they have a sense that there is some sort of ending of the temple regime coming? Yeah, but um, well, just to back up one step from there, yes, I don't know if it's readily apparent though. So think of it this way. Um, the Gospel of Luke has a lot to do with place. We just talked about place a little bit, right? Yeah. It has a lot to do with place. So um, in the Gospel of Luke, do you know where where uh, geographically the Gospel of Luke begins? Uh, hill country? No, no. no Nazareth? No. Oh, Zechariah in the temple. In the yeah, temple. Yeah, because So it you begins have... in the temple, right? Yeah, with Zechariah. It ends, where does it end? In the temple? In the temple. Remember, the disciples actually go back. To th- it's funny. In most of the Gospels, they all begin out in the wilderness or something like that. And then they end with the disciples kind of going out to the ends of the earth. And they move outward. Mm-hmm. Luke gives you this almost this strangely artificial ending. It begins 
in the temple, it ends in the temple. And and Jesus is risen at the end of Luke. And they go back to the we temple get the to end pray. Of, we get the end of Luke today. Oh, we do. Well, we get, yeah, we get the very end. Yeah, w- which is talking specifically about location, which we're gonna yeah. get, we're gonna get to. Could you want me to or I can say it right now. No, not yet. But but it, it just always bugs me though that they go back to the temple because you know because of the other gospels that they're supposed to go out. Right, yeah. they're supposed to leave Jerusalem and go out to the ends of the earth. Um, guess where Acts of the Apostles, Volume Two of Luke's Gospel begins? In the temple. Yeah, they're back in the temple, right? Yeah. So, Gospel of Luke begins in the temple. Gospel of Luke ends in the temple. Acts of the Apostles begins in the temple. Guess where Acts of the Apostles ends? Not in the temple. Where does it end? It ends at the end of the universe, the end of the world. You're close. Well, think about this. What is the temple for the Jewish people? Uh, It's the microcosm of all of the universe. It's the center of the world for them, right? This is where God dwells. It's the microcosm of the universe. It's the center of the world for the Jewish person. So where does Acts of the Apostles end? What do you think the center of the world is for a first century person? Rome? Rome. It ends in Rome because there's a movement from the center of the Jewish world, which Jesus chooses the particular. He comes among the particular and he moves you toward the universal. So he begins in the center of the Jewish world, but he ends the gospel. We end the story in the center of the known world because it's not enough to stay behind in this place. And it's what really calls all of us to not stay behind in our parishes, but go to mass and take place, take part in this, receive the sacraments, and then go out. It's the, the closing words of the mass that we actually go have forth. to go forth. Um, we don't have a come. I've heard it said you don't have a come ye gospel. We have a go ye gospel, right? Yep. That's the great commission of Matthew 28, right? Go out to all the nations. Luke, I think, is set up the way it is almost to make you go a little bit crazy. Because I, I, I almost wonder if he wants you to feel a little bit stir crazy. Like, we have to get going. And then as you go, you kind of find this relief that, yes, okay, we're going where we're supposed to go. Yeah. But as they're still in the temple, at least in the beginning of this story, does that make sense, by the way? Total sense. I, I think it's kind of cool, though, the way it's structured. But as we're, as we're kind of there, and they're still in the temple area, because even whether they know it or not, and I think they probably do know, they also know it's not time. Because remember in the very beginning of Acts, it's actually in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gives the apostles their itinerary. And he gives you the table of contents for the whole book of Acts. And he says, okay, you're going to go and be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go out to Judea, which is you just, the, you just ruined the end of the gospel right there. Did I? Yeah. Beginning in Jerusalem. Oh, so I'll, go, well, I'll, go I'll, out to all the word earth beginning in Jerusalem. Should I stop? Should no. I wait? Should I save that? I'll yes. save it. Okay. I'll save it. Sorry. I, they don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> no, who knows where I'm going? I'm not, I don't know where I'm going. I don't with even that. know where you're going. Anyway, they're that. in the temple. They heal this this lame beggar, right? Who's who's asking for for alms. Don't make such a qualitative statement about this beggar. Dude. <laughs> you are lame. <laughs> um, it's this great line. This is chapter three, verse four. It says, "And Peter directed his gaze at him with John, and he said, Look at us.'" Which is so <laughs> profound because this is a guy. If you can probably imagine, you know, he's asking for alms. He is his life is is kind of a wreck. He, he's probably embarrassed. There's probably some shame. He's probably not looking at any of the people that he's begging for money. They're probably not looking to him, even if they're throwing him a couple coins. Yeah. And Peter, you know, he doesn't just throw him some money. He says, look at us. Mm. Look at my eyes. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them, like coins. But Peter said, I've got no silver and gold, but what I ha- I give you what I have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him doing this, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement. And they're like, what on earth? What's fascinating about this, again, imagine that you're reading Acts of the Apostles for the first time. You've never heard this story before. This is brand new, okay. and you're following the whole narrative. Yep. Who's the only other person in this story so far that has done something like this? Jesus. Jesus did this. So the fact that, again, we kind of take this for granted, but if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, wait a second. Jesus can heal you know, lame people who can't walk. He can heal blind and deaf people, but his apostles can do the same thing. I mean, the starkness with which Luke is trying to show you, look, the things that Jesus did, he empowers his followers to do, is a really profound message. That's why they're able to go out at the end of all this, because they've actually literally been empowered, not in some weird, abstract, esoteric way that they they have this idea, but they can literally do this. It's, It's not an abstraction. It's a tangible reality, because our lives are not abstractions, and the gospel shouldn't work in abstractions in our lives. We have real problems. We have real financial issues and spousal issues and and relationship issues. They're not abstract things. They're just, well, if I just fix my heart in a certain way. (laughs) And we need to ask Jesus, no, I need those literal, tangible things healed. And do we actually believe that he can? Mm. Or do we just have to change our perspective or change our mindset? And sometimes we do need to do those things. But do we actually believe that this is a reality? Mm. That he can help us out of those very real situations. Yep. And it's usually not what we expect because we usually think too small. Because look at this beggar. He all, only, all he wants is a couple coins. He has no idea that what he's actually going to receive is so much beyond what he ever dreamt that he could receive. But that's what God wants to give him. Yeah, and that, well, and that's why God really works in complications. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I mean, like the, the work of God is in complications. <laughs> My dad had said my dad said it so much better, but uh, but he said yeah, that to me the other day, and I was like, ah. and I was like, it's I don't want to, I don't want to listen to you, Dad. It's too complicated. It is. I was trying to, I was trying to relate and make it funny, and because what you said, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right, let's keep going. <laughs> Continue. You know, I you're always, mean today. No, you're mean when you come home from complications. <laughs> all I'm concerned you about spent is spent pres- all your niceness on the other priests. Yeah, presbyteral unity. That's all I care about. None of this like lay scum. Oh, oh man, I'm just kidding. That's like no, it's cool. That was I know it's you, a joke. He's most joking. Of, most of the people who listen are lady, and I love you guys. This is really. I this is just joking. Do yeah, you, hopefully you guys know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so, okay, so, but that's our context for this, which I think is really important because in the context of that, everyone is like, what is going on? Who are you guys? What is happening? Which is, which is what Pete calls Peter to stand up and give this homily. Hmm. He doesn't just give the speech out of nowhere. Something profound has happened. People are wondering, whoa, who are you? Mm-hmm. How do you have authority to do this? What is going on? And that causes Peter to get up and share the gospel. It's not un- unprompted, I think is the point I want to make. Mm. And so what it says, where we pick it up, and, and again, as he's about to begin the speech, the the um, the beggar is still clinging. It literally says he's hanging on <laughs> to Peter and John. And all the people ran around them in the portico called Solomon. Uh, it's called Solomon's portico. They were astounded. And then Peter saw it and he's like, well, I, I better say something, right? Mm-hmm. And I love this because it's just this kind of spontaneous. They run across, they, they show up. In Jerusalem, they go to the temple. They probably don't know what they're expecting. They're gonna like, well, we're gonna show up to pray, and where God leads us, He leads us. Oh, we're gonna miraculously heal this guy. Oh, that's gonna bring a bunch of people around. Oh, we better give a speech. Maybe God will speak through us. <laughs> I mean, th- this is how the Christian life is meant to actually operate, right? Yes. You go about your work. You do the things you're supposed to do, and you 
allow yourself to be open to what God is going to call you. So he gets up, it says, he says to the people, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Remember, they're in Jerusalem. So what he's saying is, your God, what I'm doing is not something foreign from you. It's not some new religion that we're inventing or some new thing that's happened. Look, the God that you know from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, I'm one of you, has glorified his servant Jesus. The one, remember, who you handed over and delivered into Pilate's presence? When you decided to release him, um, when he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one. And you ask that a murderer be released to you, the author of life you put to death. But God raised him from the dead. Of this we are witnesses. Now I know, brothers, that you acted out of ignorance, just like your leaders did. But God has thus brought but God has thus brought to fulfillment what he had announced beforehand, that through the mouth of the prophets, through that is Christ would suffer, repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be wiped away. The whole point of this is look, this is the city that turned on the Son of God and commanded that he be crucified. We all said this on Palm Sunday, right? As we all stood up in Mass for the very long reading, and we all were forced in that reading to say together, crucify him. him yeah. There's a reason the church makes us do that, and you should feel incredibly uncomfortable when you do that. That's why we do that. So the city where everyone said that, that's the exact same city that these two guys— are showing up and giving people their legs back and bringing people back to life because that actually didn't discount them from the grace of God. And I think that's the most important thing about this homily. Peter doesn't stand up and just give this condemnation. He says, yeah, you guys actually really blew it. And your leaders really blew it. And I'm really praying <laughs> you acted out of ignorance because, look, this guy has just been raised up and can walk again. Mm -hmm. It's not too late. Just turn. You're already fascinated. You want to know what's going on. What's going on is that guy you crucified a couple weeks ago, he's back. He's alive. And he has power to do this. And he can actually mend your life as well. That's the message of this. And, and really, the one thing I take is that it's not too late. Look at this guy. Yes. And, it, and it's in, in contextually saying, like, he's not he's acting present in us. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like, and, and like making that explicit to understand that this apostolic tradition has the power of Christ profoundly infused in it. Oh, it absolutely does. Which leads us into the Psalm of the Four. Totally. Which is, um, it's a, a, a song of like conversion and righteousness. Of, it is. Of like... Um, and blessing. It's like, it's like a pretty normal, like this was on the top 40 um, in, in, the, <laughs> in the days of the Psalms. It's kind of, you know, know it's like, do it doesn't, doesn't stand out to, you know. The top 150. At least. Oh, oh, dude. Because there's 150 Psalms. Psalms. Well, no, so traditionally this, um, according to the rule of St. Benedict, at least, this is one of the Psalms that was traditionally prayed at the end of the day. According to the Gregorian calendar, daily, actually, in fact, for Compline. Yeah, daily. But at the end of the day, as we're about to go down to sleep, um, and it, it fits that. So, Lord, let your face shine on us. When I call, answer me, O oh God, uh, oh my just God. You who relieve me when I'm in distress, have pity on me. Hear my prayer. Know that the Lord does wonders for his faithful one. The Lord will hear me when I call. Really, what this is doing is, is reflecting on the day. And it ends by saying, as soon as I lie down, I'll fall peacefully asleep. For you alone, our Lord, bring security to my dwelling. It is... The only fitting prayer, it's the, it's the most fitting time is as we're reflecting on what God has done for us that day. That, that's really what Peter's doing in this homily. Yeah. He's saying, look at what God has done. Look, there's, there's goods and bads in all of your lives. You did something 
horrendous about a month ago. Well, it would have been, what, 50, 60 days ago by this, by this point because Pentecost has already come. You guys did something awful a few months ago. But you know what? Let's look back because God, when you call upon him, he answers. And you can actually go to sleep in peace because you know, you can know if you have the grace to reach out and grab it and touch it. Like the woman with the hemorrhage who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. It's there within your reach. You yeah. just have to admit that you need it. Reach and out. <laughs> reach out and touch someone. Unreal. <laughs> but then in that sense, you can lie down peacefully and go to sleep. And, and this is really even the point. For the beggar, I mean, no matter what's going on in our lives, we actually are supposed to be able to pray a prayer like this and say, you know what, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring. Peter and John, they've just been fleeing death. People want to kill them. They will both, well, Peter will be martyred. John's going to be put in prison on this island, Patmos, eventually. Yeah. But yet, even knowing, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring, but I can lie down in peace right now, and I can trust that I'm going to have peaceful sleep because... Really doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. I might show up in the temple. I might heal a blind, a, a, a lame beggar, and give a big speech, or they might put me to death. I don't know which one's going to happen, but you know what? I'm going to lie down and sleep because I can't know that, and the Lord alone does. Yep. I, I, I just I'm I'm forced to read it in light of that, and I think it kind of is it has a cool effect yeah. in light of the first reading. Yeah, and its historical uh, circumstances too. Well, and this is the thing that I've the, the only piece I've ever really known in my life, honestly, is. When I am doing the podcast, I'm doing the podcast. Well, actually, the podcast is part of it. It's part of the Lord's call in my life. If I'm actually responding to the Lord's call in my life, that's actually where my safety and my security is. Knowing that I'm acting in accord with him. It's it's those moments where I start to doubt that I'm acting in accord with what God is asking, mm. that that I become unstable and I start waking up in the middle of the night and I, I, I'm not safe, I'm not secure, and I'm, and I'm anxious in my spirit. And so... I just think that that's a really important thing. Like, and 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 I think that that actually leads us into First John. Yeah. Can I just say one more word about this? And I should have said it at the beginning of the psalm. Sure. Um, this is, of course, one of the psalms of David. And if you read it in conjunction, I just checked my Bible. I wanted to look at the psalm right before it. And the psalm right before the Psalm three, just ironically enough, is the psalm that David writes when he's fleeing from Absalom, his son, who's trying to Excuse kill me. him. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, David's writing this as, you know, these aren't just nice words. There's a bunch of people surrounding me trying to kill me. Lord, how many are my foes? They're all rising up. Um, is there no help for me? And then immediately after that, he says, but I'm going to call and you're going to answer. Mm -hmm. And even though Absalom and his armies are surrounding me, and I know I'm the rightful king, and they're stripping me of that, and nobody accepts me as king, I still know that you've made me king. And someday you're going to bring that to fruition. So I'm going to go to sleep and peace is going to come. I think the historical context is is helpful as well in that. But I just wanted to point that out because I think it's really profoundly important. Yes. So that takes us to to First John, which is uh, uh, really addressed to children. <laughs> <laughs> Technia. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> just, You're ridiculous, my little children. <laughs> yes, yeah. So it's a, this is the this is a children's homily. Here's the thing: we're actually not sure who the recipients of. I think we mentioned this last week. That it's one of the things I get frustrated about with First John because I love context, and we don't totally know who the context is. Whoever whoever the context is, the community. It's, it's a Christian community, or maybe communities. And again, a few different times he calls he calls them dear children, or sometimes dear friends, right? Um. Why he's writing this letter in general is um, he's he's speaking against false prophets. 
who are trying to get the followers of Jesus to put their hope in the wrong things or perhaps to be afraid of the things in their lives. I mean, this is precisely what we're talking about. And he's saying what the emphasis is that, look, Jesus was the son of God. There's no need to put your trust in these other things. He is the one that God sent. He died, but he rose again. So you don't have to live life in fear. You can actually be like little children and you can come before him with that kind of confidence. I think it's significant that he addresses them as technia, as the little children. Well, I I think it's interesting because the beggar in the first reading mm. actually is coming with that spirit. Because he he's he's like he's like I am radically dependent upon the generosity of others, hmm. and that that is actually what marks the poverty of a child is that like dude they can't go out and get a job and do their stuff like yeah. if they have anything it's only it's only out of um you know is is uh is a lot of the communion liberation people would say is 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 the beggar is the only true protagonist in history. Hmm. And Christ begs at our hearts, at the door of our hearts for it. Wow. And here's this man begs. And like children in a certain sense are they're like, the, they freak out. They're like, I want my toy. <laughs> and like, cause they're begging in a certain sense for the toy. Absolutely. And so, and like, hmm. so when we're, when we're looking at this sin, it says, I'm not. Bless you. Excuse me. Um, excuse me. Excuse me. Um, and so here we are, like the commandments are ab- about like, how do we actually control the desire of what we're, what we're looking for, what we're requesting, what we're actually trying to have manifested in our life mm. um, yeah. in the midst of it. I'm trying, I'm just trying to like put some things together to try to understand. Like, no, I like that. I like that imagery. Yeah. That, 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 that he begs, but then, but then what, what does it look like to, to ask rightly? There's a difference though between, um, the childlike simple dependence like like the beggar just knows he can't do it yeah. and he he needs somebody else to do it for mm-hmm. uh, to, he can't get up and work he doesn't have legs that work so he's trusting in the generosity of others there's a difference between the simple um dependence of a child and then the idea of a childlike trust. Ah. Because it's easy for that beggar to fall into cynicism or skepticism yes. or anger. Or expectation. Even, or expectation even. even. But then there's this idea of the, the technia, the little child who has this confident trust. The, the, the catechism talks about parousia, the filial boldness of a child with their parents that I trust that you will provide this for me. Mm. Which is not the, the either cynical or disheartened or expectant, um, uh, wrongly expectant um, dependence, but a confident knowing I am loved. And what it's like, Rome, we talked about Romans a few weeks back, you know, what will the father not give us? He already gave us his son. Yeah. What is he going to hold back? Yeah. And then we can actually have that. Um, so there's a fine line, though, between the cynical dependence and the trusting, confident dependence. And that trusting, confident dependence is actually what gives us knowledge of God. Yeah, it, oh, absolutely. Be, because in a certain sense, like when we when we distrust that and we move into a, a space to where we um, try to manage the things of our life, that's where we get into sin. Yes, totally, totally. And and, and so that, that so so whoever keeps his word in him. It, truly love for God is perfected by this we may be sure that we are in him yeah is that is that that the demonstration of of the of childlike trust in God is 
this uh, adherence to the commandments. Right. Because once we start to get outside of those, then then what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Well, our ends are off. Like, and that's actually where well, maybe our means are off. Like, I can do this better my way. Uh, I can, I can, I know a better route. This is a silly route to take to this, right? Yeah, and and that's so what the we ends see. could be off, but the means can be off too. Well, and that's where we see in the first reading the transformation culturally. Like, if you if we take that beggar and and apply it into in a kind of a more literary way mm. as representative of a larger culture, right? Then we can see ourselves in that. Like, oh, the, yeah. what, once we have that, then. Then, then we're set free, and now we actually have mobility of spirit. We have we have the ability to actually get into motion towards the ability to live these commandments out, which are they're not far from us. They're they're totally. in the depths of our heart. Totally. Which I, I think this whole thing actually is a great segue into Luke twenty four into Luke, the into the gospel. Luke Luke. Luke Luke Luke. I actually love this first part. So. We talked about the road. You just mentioned the road to Emmaus. I don't think we've talked to the, about the road to Emmaus lately. Not in a while, I feel. Well, I don't think it was in the reading because we've been in Mark. Yeah, that's that is no, a marked difference. No, we've been in Luke. Haven't we been in Luke? Do we've been doing last Luke, week? We've it was been John, Luke though. interspersed. This is With the thing John, is, yeah, is yeah, it's yeah. never pure. No. Like they never they never just do that. They Sorry. always like because there's important readings that we have to go through. It's cool. But so the road to Emmaus. So these two disciples are leaving. Jesus appears to them. They, you know, he he feeds gives them, them a Bible. Them. He gives them a Bible study. The best Bible study the, ever. It's it's basically it's the pattern of the mass. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You know, they they go along. There's uh, the scriptures are opened up and and read. Moves in. So it's liturgy of the Word, liturgy of the Eucharist. Now they freak out. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever because they like it, it, Luke is making it clear that these two disciples are in the process of leaving the work of Christ because because first Luke location yeah. is so important. So it's, so it's, it, from chapter nine until chapter twenty four, it's been the process has been going towards Jerusalem. Now you have two disciples who haven't gotten the word and they are walking away from Jerusalem. Yeah. And so they're there, and they're walking because they're then, disappointed. Because they're disappointed. And the imagery is them, uh, d- two disappointed people, let down, leaving the church. Absolutely, it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. That doesn't sound familiar to this. Oh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and um, and so next thing you know, they uh, Jesus appears, gives them a Bible study, literally the word, literally the Eucharist. They uh, their eyes are open in they, the Eucharist specifically. Yep, in the Eucharist, their eyes are open, and they freak out. And now we end up in this context where they've run back seven miles back to Jerusalem. Because that's the only proper response for actually having a profound experience with Jesus Christ. Yes. Is to go back and share it. Is again, the going out aspect. Absolutely. For them, it's going back. Because, again, they have this unique... Nobody actually knows what's happened yet. They are singular. Well, they're double in their... Because in their, there's two of them. <laughs> in their understanding of what's actually happened. And I love this scene where we pick it up. So it says... This is uh, 35, um, 24, Luke 24, verse 35. The two disciples, so they ran back. They're talking to the disciples. It's probably the middle of the night. Because remember when they got to the place that they were staying, it was already super late. And yeah. they were like, well, you have to stay with us because it's too late to keep going. So now it's plus a seven-mile trek. So it's probably middle of the night. And the two disciples recounted what had taken place on the way, how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And I love the image. They're probably sitting there or standing. They're probably standing. 
there's sleepy, groggy disciples who are probably ticked off that they're out of bed. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, no, no, it's like this. And we saw Jesus and he was there. And, and, and I, I just, I'm speculating. But I wonder if people are like, what do you guys, really, do you really think you saw that? And they're like, no, you don't understand. It's, it's like this. And they're trying to explain it. Maybe they're struggling. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus. Peace <laughs> like, be Look, with you. Here, Fee, you explain it. And you were there. <laughs> and I love that. Maybe he just showed up right in time to, for them to save face. So they're still speaking about this, and he stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And they said, And with your spirit. No, I'm just kidding. But they were terrified, and start, they were startled and terrified, and they thought that they were seeing a ghost, which that suggests to me that maybe they didn't totally buy what these two disciples were saying. Because they're like, Well, Jesus just appeared to us. And they're like, I don't know, because now he's appearing again. And they are skeptical. They're like, well, it's a ghost or something. What, what's going on? It's the middle of the night. We're sleepy. Maybe we ate something weird. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do these questions arise in your hearts? Look at my hands, my feet, that it is my, I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. At least he knows that much about ghostness. <laughs> as you can see, I have. And as he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they were still incredulous for joy... Isn't that the best line? Incredulous. In, incredulous for joy. Because of joy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> apostuston, which is amazed. disbelieving because of joy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're, you're like, this is too good to be true. Yeah, that, 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 I, I think that is the best way to think about that. And yeah. they're amazed. So we asked them, <laughs> you guys got anything to eat? Dude, Isn't that the best? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Jesus' sense of humor and like his his like ability to navigate a very strange situation is so awesome. Hey, you guys got one. anything in the fridge? And they're like, <laughs> well, we got a piece of half baked fish. They're like, we got some fish we didn't finish. And he's <laughs> right. like, he's like, he's like, hook me good. up, man. Hook me up. <laughs> and he took it and he ate it in front of them. I just picture him. <laughs> He's eating it right there. Which, dude, have I mentioned my theories about resurrection and um, quantum mechanics? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but remind me. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so like the whole thing, like quantum mechanics. People they love to say like, really, everything is just comprised comprised of space, oh. and that if I were to walk up, I could put my hand through this wall and pass through it. If I had an infinite amount of time, and then the things would all line up and they'd be perfect. Right. I think that Jesus just becomes like. I think that quantum mechanics has as as its end the the resurrected body. I think that they're actually trying to get to that that place because here's something that is both simultaneously transparent and opaque. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And so he's able to actually take matter to himself entirely, but then remain transparent, which is a really, is like, so he's substantive, but not to the point of where he's not real. It's in like, but, but to where matter Mm. inhibits him. And so like quantum mechanics is always trying to figure out how do we actually take two surfaces and calculate the spaces between them so that they can pass through each other. This is hurting my head. I know, but it's just pretty, pretty badly. (laughs) Oh yeah. Hold on. I see something. Stop it. It's a little, it's a little smoke. Give me some fish. (laughs) You got anything to eat? You got anything to eat? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, remember we're going back to the Exodus now, Exodus. and in the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. That line right there, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, you know, for the Jewish mindset, there are three divisions of the Old Testament. It was just the scriptures for them. It wasn't the Old Testament, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the three divisions, it was called the Torah, um, the, um, uh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. 
Have we talked about this before? Yes. So Torah is the first five books, right? The Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, the Nevi'im is what's known as the prophets, right? The mm-hmm. prophetic books. And and for the Jewish people, even Joshua and Samuel, because they spoke to what God was doing in the world, they were considered prophetic. And then the rest were the Ketuvim, which are the, the writings. So the Psalms, Proverbs, books like this. But what Jesus is saying is... Everything written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets and the Psalms, in the Torah, the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, all of it, every corner of Scripture is about me, and it's been fulfilled. And why that's important is that he's doing the same thing for these disciples that he did for the two on the road to Emmaus. Because remember, what he did for them on the road to Emmaus was show them in the Scriptures everything that concerned himself, which was everything. And now he's doing the exact same thing. He's showing them, look, Everything in the scriptures, there's no corner of the scriptures that you can find that does not speak to what I have just done. You might not have eyes to see it, but every corner, that's what he's getting at. This isn't just a nice little idiom, right? Right. And it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And remember, to this point, they've been sitting huddled in this upper room just terrified. They don't know what to do. Yeah, because their leader was absolutely tortured and sacrificed before the whole town. And they don't want it to happen to them. No. For good reason. But then what does he do? He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And it's the scriptures that really helped. Now, it was the breaking of the bread, obviously, that opened the disciples' eyes. But they actually needed the scriptures to help them get there. The scriptures actually were the first step that Jesus gave to start to feed. Well, this is the whole thing. Like, as a preacher, you know when you've done a good job on how well people receive communion. Because, I mean, Mm. you think about it. I give give communion every day to people. Yeah. And so as I'm watching, it's not like, like, like you just pick up on the attitudes of people. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and so so what happens is that like when your minds are open to the scriptures, when the preaching is good and you've actually brought everything everything together and it's oriented towards the liturgy of, this, of the Eucharist, mm. in that reception there is a profound enlightenment if the scriptures have prepared the heart. And on the road to Emmaus, you couldn't just break the bread and have everything happen. No, we're our hearts not burning within us yeah. for this communion. And so, yeah. and and even and not that. You have to have this great understanding of scripture before you can have communion. No, I mean, please don't misunderstand no, what we're saying. No. That's not it. I, no, but that's what the function of preaching is supposed yeah. to do is it's supposed to and open why, up. And that's why the mass is structured the way it is. Yeah. We're supposed to be. The communion doesn't come first. It comes after we've been predisposed by hearing the word of God written and then pro- proclaimed and spoken about. And and Francis in his directory on, on homiletics, that's one of the huge points mm-hmm. that he says is that Every bit of preaching that we do needs to be oriented towards the reception of the Eucharist. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. it needs to base, be based scripturally. And the catechism has always said, you know, it's the liturgy that's the prized place for catechesis. That's yeah. where we best catechize, in and, the liturgy. And it also says it's the prized place for the reflection on the scriptures. Absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the only two things that are put on the altar and reverenced by the priest. Yes, and that's where you can find and see that what you can find and see is that um, the the way in which the gospel book is treated is treated in a manner similar to how we do the elevation and the consecration. Absolutely. And so what happens is that you 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 have it, and from the altar, it's it's gone, and then it's elevated, and then we we reverence it, and then what happens is that those scriptures are left there, and because it's supposed to become manifest on the altar. Because why? Because what we have is the word of God made written and the word of God made flesh. 
The Word made flesh and the Word made written. Those are yeah, the two things. The Word of the Lord, the body of Christ. Yeah, the, those, those two phrases are meant to be receptive. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's what we say in communion. And, and the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Dude, I have to say that one alleluia over uh, over the uh, octave, I hit it 100%, dude. I didn't mess up. <laughs> it was like, it was like, go Don't and try peace, to do it. And, and I know, <laughs> I just threw in a little, a little break for a you guys. Um, so, you guys, thank you for tuning in. Well, last point. Oh. Though, just the last thing. Ooh, hit me, bro. What, what Jesus ends, though, with saying is that you oh. are the witnesses of these things. Beginning in Jerusalem. To all the nations. To all Beginning the in Jerusalem. Who's going to do it? You. You. Because you are the witnesses. You so are that's witnesses. what sets you up for Luke, which says they begin in Jerusalem, and they do minister there, and then they move out to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And the, the whole earth. book culminates in the center of the known world, center. Rome. Rome. And Jesus predicted it from the beginning. Yeah. It's the only appropriate route for this to go. Dude, that's awesome. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so we had to answer that question. Man, way to not be ADD and to stay on track. <laughs> Thanks, I am, man. I'm like way impressed. I was trying to end this bug. No, I'm not going to let you. Well, no. now we can end it. Okay time you guys check us out on facebook uh thanks for joining us um if you've tried us for the first time um give us a couple of tries <laughs> <laughs> yeah try us again try us again because we may be on our game for sometimes you. there's a weird aftertaste with this podcast so just always give it another shot <laughs> so we'll be back next week you can give it a shot then and um, um, hopefully it's spring it's been like snowing outside yeah, can't even believe it man believe it believe it you me see you next week everybody happy easter happy easter god bless you bye bye the Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.